I just crank up some tunes, play them very loud, and then open up Kieber, so keybr.com, which is sort of the typing training thing. And I just start typing super fast for the extent of just one song, right? And I could say. I assume this is like an 80s style hero <laughs> montage song. No, usually it's just the weird stuff. And my it's wife's like, like, I have the tiger. My wife's like, why yeah. are you listening to sea shanties so loud? At You're like, because I'm typing. <laughs> Scotch Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 254 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the kitten wrangler. I'm Sam. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 12th, 20 Blunday. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be some swears in this show. Just all up so, in it. All up in there. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We grabbed their money. Uh, we, we grabbed a couple of new folks' money. Mm, it was nothing week. like a fresh wallet. A fresh, fresh wallet. Actually, fresh wallets smell great. They you do. Know? You get that well, fresh, like the leather ones, I guess. I was say, but, yeah. but now you have to murder animals, and now that's not really good. So I guess I'm thinking about the first wallet, wallet I had, stuff back. which was like a Velcro wallet. You know, that was like yeah. a weird, it was like that sweatpants material. Where I remember that. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? And the like windbreaker pants. wallets. Yes, it's a windbreaker material. And then you. Have you guys them. seen those carbon fiber wallets? No. It's it's legit. It's like made of two carbon fiber plates that are about the size of a credit card. And then it has like a, like a strap inside that kind of holds them together. And I, every time I see these, I'm like, why? Yeah, why? Though? Why? <laughs> I think if, so. You can only put it in your front pocket because, of course, if it's in your back pocket and you sit on it, then now you break your ass on your <laughs> on your own wallet. Yeah, you don't want to be putting something harder than your body in your back pocket. You know what I mean? But then you do have a bulletproof ass. That's true. Is a thing we can which, all only dream of. You know? Here in the U.S. is, I mean, that's that's just good travel. There, but <laughs> yeah. Flying around like birds. It's crazy. Yeah. It's migratory uh, so, for bullets. So we got uh, new donations from Preston, who says, Sam, mm. thank you for discussing ADHD on the show. I would have never asked my doctor if it wasn't for you sharing your experience. Oh, dang. My production has skyrocketed, and it is amazing what quality of life improvements can do. Here's my appreciation in the form of caffeine and sugar. Excellent. Thank you so, for paying me. I appreciate thanks. it. <laughs> Thank you for buying us some coffee, Preston. We also uh, got a coffee from Intuition, who then said, fuck coffee. Get <laughs> – never mind. Bake yourselves some sweet cake to celebrate the incoming launch. So I guess – So he's giving us work to do? Is that what's happening? Well, first he tried to just send us outside. We, I mean – Yeah, he's wow. sending us out – He's sending us out into the pandemic to bake some – to get some cake <laughs> ingredients. Uh, really trying to sabotage the launch here. I think I think what's happening is probably Intuition, as we all know, is one of our top speedrunners in Levelhead. Yep. He's got a lot of shoes. Mm, you know? He doesn't want people and, to take them away. It's a big conflict of and, interest uh, here. I see it. Once the game comes out and we've got 10,000 levels coming out a day – He's not going to be able to kept, keep up. Yeah, because I think he's he has he has like the top score on what every level currently or something <laughs> damn close to that. No, he's he's got a lot. I, I know uh, Usu also has a lot. Yes, uh, that's we've, true. We've got we've got a few folks at the top who are really neck and neck. But and Usu you know, used to be able to do it under the radar because his uh, notifications weren't working for like he'd steal shoes and nobody knew, yeah. so he just <laughs> hoarded them. Uh, yeah, so clearly intuition's trying to sabotage this whole thing. Well, it's not going to happen. Nope, not we're, we're going to buy coffee we're, with it. We're going to buy coffee. But you can't stop We're going to order coffee to be delivered to our houses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, stay, to stay COVID safe. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters who uh, whose money we grab just all the time. Thank month, you. Month by month. Thank you very much. All right. Let's talk about Adam's bidet. Oh, bidet yeah. watch so, 2020. We talked about this. It must have been the last podcast episode. Yep. That, that does feel – we always joke about how time moves – Weird, um, but man, is it really man, is it weird. moving weird right now? Uh, I think time is standing still, and we're just moving through it weirdly. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, that sounds. Yeah. It's not. It's just hanging out. It's like all time relativity, a, you know. Time, time is, is a pool. Move. Time yeah, is a time pool is a, of viscous liquid, and we're sort yeah. of slurbing on through. Slurbing. Yep. It's like yeah. a, it's like a honey pool. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so last week we talked about, hey, there's no more toilet paper, which also we did have to finally go and get groceries out in the real world, uh, my wife and I, uh, just a few days ago. Did you find TP? Uh, and the only th- – everything was fully stocked, stocked to the brim. The only thing that was not was toilet paper. So, so y- y'all fucking maniacs out there. <laughs> Why? The least important thing of all the grocery <laughs> items. Um, but anyway, so uh, so then we talked about last week how I've got this bidet. Talked about it, I think, a year ago for the first time when I first bought it and never plugged it in. And uh, and I was like, at this point, we're going to be running out of toilet paper because all, the all these people keep buying all of it for no reason. So uh, I guess this is the time. Uh, under, under the belief that a bidet would reduce toilet paper requirements. So – so finally, last weekend, last Sunday, I buckled buckled my pants. And, yep. Did you buckle uh, them so off? You un- no, there was you unbuckled I buckled them. them, you know, so <laughs> in the future I could unbuckle them and, right, yeah. uh, and get more value out of that. Yeah. Uh, so so I finally plugged it all in. took like, I don't know, an hour or so to install. Uh, I ended up not being able to hook up the – so the one that I got has a cold and a hot water going into it. Yeah. So you have to plug it. You have to use one. You have to get hot water from your sink and then cold water from like the toilet input, you mm-hmm. know. But then it turned out that because of how my cold water was hooked up, I couldn't actually plug in the cold side. But then I thought, I don't want cold water on my butthole. Yeah, so <laughs> you only want so hot. That? Yeah, so yeah, this hot seems butt. fine. Uh, so, so I just didn't hook it up and figured I'd just see if that was fine. Um, it's a brave and, move uh, if you don't know the temperature of that water coming out. Uh, well, you know it's mean? coming from the sink, and the sink never burns my hands, you know? So I figured. But does it burn your butt? Yeah, does it burn your butt? That was the question. Sensitive part. <laughs> So it, it all came out fine. Although if you don't if you don't turn on the sink, so that the bidet has sort of two modes. It's a very simple one. Um, so one is you turn the nozzle one way, and it just kind of runs water down itself, so that it can clean itself. You know? oh. That's clean in quotes because it's just dropping some you know water, right? right. Uh, yeah, because when you're trying to clean, it's a rinse. It's a gentle rinse. So and the, the other mode is it you know squirts you in the butthole, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're if you're seated in the right <laughs> position, um, otherwise it squirts you in some other place. How do you um, know how to sit correctly? Uh, you got to learn by doing. This is mm-hmm. the whole thing practice. about bidets. Is you got to practice, and practice makes perfect. You know. So uh, so then so what I've what I've already <laughs> learned. Sure so I've been using it, and what I, I've learned a few uh, lessons. So these are my these are my, my all right. Give my us your day Adam's bidet tips. I mean, <laughs> there's day. never been a time where these tips are more valuable. They're very valuable than right literally now. today. You know? The world is moving away from handshakes and toward yep. bidets. So and tip number one, while it is fine to be squirted in the butthole with cold water, it is not the best. If you want to wake up real fast, that will do. <laughs> so if, if you need to kick off your morning with just like a refreshing, startling don't jolt, don't even need coffee at all. So if you're trying to kick coffee, go with cold water or bidet. That'll do mm-hmm. it. Yep. Uh, if you don't <laughs> want that to happen and you do have a hot water hookup to your bidet, never forget that there's cold water in like the you know the 12 or 24 or whatever inches of tiny pipe that's leading right. up to it. Right. Because that means all, all night. Or sitting there all night. That means you got 12 inches of cold water that's coming first. So yeah. you can use the rinse thing because it's, it's all the same water, right? So you can use the rinse side just to like run. Run it clear to get to get your to get your hot to get water. the hotness. Clear right. those pipes. So, well, so what I do is I literally though. turn on the sink first onto hot until the sink is hot, and I turn that off. Mm. And then I like rent, run the rinse mode for like ten seconds so that what's left in the pipe comes out on that side. And then you're ready, just a pure straight hot shot of water right into your bum. Because you could also, <laughs> I mean, it's. I feel like the hot cold could also be used almost like they do in your spas and stuff, where like you want a sauna yeah, for a be. while, an ice bath. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, maybe it's very soothing on the yeah, back. If you want to get it yeah. even colder, you need to add sort of a secondary step where there's an ice bath that the water goes through. So mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. done that because I'm really enjoying the hot the hot water mode. <laughs> but, if, but somebody could try such a thing, definitely. Um, so that's tip number one is uh, is that. So tip number two is it's all about positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I have learned that that I normally sit further forward than bidets expect. Wow. Yeah. Oh. But I yeah, don't know surprising? if that's because – is well, that like the a, thing is I, I don't know if that's because like I just sit more forward than I'm supposed to. Because you're ready to just leave. You're like, I need to get out of here. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, oh. you're ready to go. You're in you're in America. Yeah, you got things take to do time back fast here? for no reason. <laughs> exactly. So so I learned. Uh, so basically, like, you can use the positioning of the jet because you know where it's supposed to hit, right? So <laughs> so so you use that position to find out where you're normally supposed to sit on a toilet. So it's actually very educational. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. You'll discover a thing that you've done wrong your entire your entire life, basically. 
So I learned the other day that apparently a large fraction of people turn the shower on while they are in the shower. And there's like a, a faction of That's people horrifying. who who claim they're like, I hate, I hate showering in the morning because like it's just so cold at first, you know? And then other people were like Why do you warm the water what? first? <laughs> what are you talking about? Turn the water on, let it warm up, and then, <laughs> then get in. And that this is like a third of the population just hasn't. This is well, those so dots. to me, this is the the valuable lesson from the bidet, which is if you Google how do you properly use a bidet to make sure you get a clean bum hole with, mm-hmm. you know, minimum toilet paper use and like having only a pleasant time? That's a long Google search. You would <laughs> – you would <laughs> I, I sort of – I filtered it down after the initial search. But, oh, but okay. you will be uh, – you'll be impressed to, to discover that there is no one correct known way to use a bidet. Oh. So this it's, is despite It's more of an fact, art than a science. Well, you probably don't want to use it as a drinking fountain though, right? Yep. Yeah, that is probably the wrong, <laughs> wrong way to do it. I think that's, I think that's, that's fair. the wrong way. To clarify, there's definitely you definitely a wrong way. could because if you were not sitting down when that water came up, yeah, there's now a water fountain. How far there are lots go? of right ways to use it and yeah. one very well, wrong way. I don't think there's really like lots of right ways. So Because I, I think about this, like this, this example with like the – with the shower and people not turning it on and then like not even knowing there was a thing you could do. And every once in a while, if you're like on, on a, on Reddit, somebody will ask some question and be like, I was talking to my, to my spouse or my friend or my oh, roommate or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and they said, and for some reason we got on this topic and they said that, that they wipe standing up and I wipe standing down. And I couldn't even imagine a universe in which like the, a person would do it the other way. Right. Mm. Um, yep. And neither party can. There's like there's like a million things like this. So, so <laughs> it is wild that there are all these things that are just like we all do this every day. Mm-hmm. We all we all do this but, every but day. privately, privately. And well, you don't want to talk about it. You know. And we don't talk about it. And and despite the fact that there there's like equipment designed for this purpose that's standardized, like a toilet is a standardized thing. Toilet paper is a standardized thing. Uh, and we're all pretty much roughly shaped the same. We're all shaped basically yeah. the same. And you don't have that many people reason, walking around with four legs and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then for yeah. some reason, we don't do things the same way. Like it seems like there's, there should be a correct way to do it because things were designed around what is presumably the correct way to do it. But the, the designs of a, of a toilet, even toilet paper, don't imply a particular usage. No, they don't. That's but also then, then we don't – so we all have to actually learn – we all have to learn ourselves through like whatever our parents think is the way things are supposed mm-hmm. to work. And then whatever they manage to teach us because everyone's being so like squirrely and private about all this stuff. So that so, the end result is that the most fundamentally like human and boring things in the universe, like taking a dump, no right? one knows how to do properly. <laughs> no one, no one is doing. <laughs> or I guess there's no, way. there's no agreed. There's no agreed a proper way to do it. So I watched the show called uh, 100 Humans on Netflix. Which oh, is that good? It's well, it's kind of dumb. It's it's almost okay. MythBustersy, but uh, but not quite as charismatic nor as uh, fun. Good. And so. Uh, but so basically what I did is I ended up just sort of speeding to the various results sections. And they actually do a whole bit on exactly this, on exactly uh, the questions of how people use the toilet. So yep. does the roll, does the toilet paper roll go over or under? And then they get percentages based on this like really diverse 100-person yeah. uh, pool. And then the question of which direction do you wipe? Front yeah, to back, right? back to front. And yeah, and then they, they come out with like the breakdown of how everybody behaves, all this stuff. It is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating, but I think yeah, because because like, these for, for each one of these, one of them has to be the better answer, right? Well, just maybe, like, maybe just like from a because things are physically happening when you do these things, right? So yeah. like back to front versus front to back, there has to be a good reason, like a really good reason <laughs> to choose one over the other. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, we all think that we're doing it the right way, but like, but are, are we? <laughs> I don't know. So I just so that to me that was kind of the really the fundamental takeaway, which is so number one, a bidet is a uh, is a pretty pleasant experience kind of out of the box because uh, then you just have like a warm, more fresh than <laughs> usual bum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the main problem is that it's not obvious how exactly you're supposed to use it. And so the, the sort of the barrier to entry is weirdly high because I was like Googling. I was like, okay, how do I use this thing now that I've plugged it in, right? And everyone's you like, well, just sit on it and give it a go. Yeah, basically, you sit on it and give it a go, but then the question is, like, how long do you sit there? Because, like, you got to find a shoot, you know, right? So how does this work? Is there, like, a, is there like a switch that you, like, you flick a th- switch and then it, like, there's starts a, shooting? There's, you? like, a little, not a little nozzle knob, so you just turn it up and it just increases. Like, the pressure at at just on is, like, 
a it's fire hose. Okay, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a hand crank. You get you just got to really go for okay, it. So you, you turn it on, it. and then you have to manually turn it off, or is it like a timed? Yeah, you just turn it on, turn it back off. But I mean, depending like, on like if you're using like a fancy one, like a fancy you know Japanese one or something, then there's then probably it knows. there's all kinds of stuff going on there. You know, because because mm-hmm. when my wife and I went to Taiwan, we got to use one of those for the first time. And uh, and that was where we got to have the experience of like it blow dries you, you know. It's like so then you get to get <laughs> those hot the air ones. coming in and the whole yeah. thing. Those are the ones where the toilet like it it does your taxes and it knows yeah, it your, deepest, your deepest your deepest feeds your pets. And, yeah, they've they've got it figured out. Awesome. One day, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get there. Uh, yeah, so I would I say think, basically, I don't, I'm not 100 percent sure I'm using this thing correctly, but it is still a better experience than not using it. But it's but it's not to the point yet where I'm just like. I'm I'm nowhere near a rabid advocate for this that I've heard some people be, which means either I'm still not doing it the way that they're doing it yet, yeah. uh, or that there's or just, just some variation in the uh, the pleasantness of the experience. You I know? just so. like how 2020 for Adam has been all about strapping jets to things. You know, yep. you get a bit, you yeah, got a jet, jet on your bed. Yeah, they got a jet on toilet. your toilet. Well, yeah, but this is the thing. Where's I, this? this, is, this it's important though, right? Because we have these fundamental human experiences like sleeping and vacating our guts, right? Mm -hmm. These things that we're doing every day and like, and how the quality of those experiences is really important. You know, it's going to creep into everything. Yeah. It creeps in everything. It, it, it just ruins your, it ruins like at least 30 minutes of your day, but potentially your whole day, especially like if, if you're having trouble going, you can't find a bathroom, like all this stuff, right? We have all these Mm -hmm. fundamental things that we just kind of, we don't really invest in. We just kind of privately suffer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll spend like we'll spend a thousand dollars on a device that we stare at for eight hours a day that gives us horrible back pain, right? But we won't spend five hundred dollars adding air conditioning to our bed, you know, <laughs> yep. to improve our the quality of our sleep literally every night for the rest of our lives. And now I have to say, now having had the bed jet, um, uh, since our my my cat was sick during the week, and so I slept on the couch to like give her some additional human time. Um, it's normally we can't sleep with the cats because my wife's allergic, um, so I slept on the couch. And I had no bed jet. Mm-hmm. And oh Uh-oh. my god, temperature, my temperature regulation is just a <laughs> fucking nightmare. I could not sleep at all. And I was like, this is how it used to be. Just how did I night. live like this? How did I live like this? So invest in yourself. Right. Invest in the invest in the the, the gross basic human necessities, like going to the bathroom, sleeping. It's sleeping. Sleeping isn't gross, I guess. Actually, it is pretty gross. You wake up, you're like, your eyes are full of crusty stuff, you know? I hate like, it. You're and you've been hallucinating. You've been the, worst hallucinating. Is, the worst is like you get through the day and you look in the mirror and you're like, there's a there's a diamond of sleep goo encrusted yeah, upon my eyelid that no one has said anything. I've been carrying around this rock <laughs> on my face. No one said that. <laughs> yeah, speaking of sleeping, sleeping is so up gross, you have to shower the moment you wake up, you know? Like, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Sam, you wanted to talk about something called a, a turbo day start. Well, so I've just been, you know, we're – Kind of like Adam, you know, we're at home now a lot. So just kind of been noodling about how to improve my my sitch, home life, my situation. And my so uh, I used to have a pretty rigorous like couple of things I would forcibly do in the mornings before heading into work. And then uh, this is like years ago. And then as I kind of gotten into a better swing with work stuff, I would just sort of wake up, get ready, head into the office. And that was about the extent of it. So now that we're at home, of course, there's no heading into the office. So there's this this free time vacuum that's popped up. And so I thought to myself, uh, how could I make this morning just a little more fun? Yeah. yeah, a little more, a little more morning. And so what I do now, here's my, what I do. I okay. set up my yoga mat next to my bed a while ago. I think we talked about the podcast first, you know, structure assisting with stretching and stuff. So I wake up in the morning, just sort of like flop over there and then do some push-ups, do some, uh, squats and then sort of like, sort of like roll around a little bit, like literally just sort of like wiggling around. Do you have a, a ramp or something on the side of your bed so you can just kind of like? I roll wish down I could just it. like a hill. Roll. Yeah, I wish. Oh my god, that'd just be amazing. Wake up, roll down onto your yoga mat, and you're ready to go. I think you wake up a lot faster if you fall from a height, though. That's true. Ideally, yeah. you're just dropped directly onto the yoga mat. Yeah. So I think I think that ramp <laughs> kind of works works against the getting. And then ready a bidet. Quickly. That's true. And a bidet snipes you from a. <laughs> from a as, um, as you're rolling, you get you get some sort of like butt tracking <laughs> software. <laughs> yeah. So I I do, and this is not a lot. It's literally like five to ten push-ups and squats, right? So it's just I'm just like I want to wake up my body, right? And then uh, get up, go for a walk now, 
with uh, with my wife. Usually just like three or four blocks sort of moving the limbs. And they come back in. It's still not even work time yet. It's like maybe 8.40. I wake up at like 8 on the dot. And so yeah, uh, I got 20 minutes. So uh, instead of doing like a lot of planning stuff, whatever else, I just crank, I just crank up some tunes, uh, play them very loud, and then open up Kieber – so keybr.com, which is sort of the typing training you thing. Just, you just rock out to And I just start typing. typing super fucking fast for the extent of just one song, right? And I could say – Is it – I assume this is like an 80s style hero <laughs> montage song. No, usually it's just some weird stuff. And my it's wife's like, like – Eye of the Tiger. My wife's like, why yeah. are you listening to sea shanties so loud at – Because like, I'm typing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just type – and it's literally like – again, it's like three minutes. But this this combination of these – like that – that minute of sort of just doing some push-ups and stuff, and then this minute or two of extremely fast typing plus listening to rock and music before the workday starts, for some reason, is just it like – It starts your day with momentum. Yeah, I just like feel like I've arrived, you know, by yeah. 9 o'clock. It's kind of awesome. So I wanted to share that. If anybody's looking for kind of, you know, pro methods to to make your morning, morning quarantine a little more exciting, there you go. Now, see, my ideal morning is kind of the opposite. You remember Wallace and Gromit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he had a series of elaborate machines. That's kind of so he was basically, <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's basically, basically still asleep. He's just sleeping the whole time, yeah. but he's brushing his teeth. He's putting pants on. He's shaving. You know, uh, he's getting his toast made, and then he just wakes up at the breakfast table, ready mm-hmm. for the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's also how I prefer. That my was morning. dope. Yep, that yep. was dope. Oh, that's some, that's some good advice. So ro- flop out of bed directly onto the floor, get sniped in the butt with a bidet turret, yep, do yep. a bunch of push-ups, sit-ups, go for a walk, and then do some speed keyboarding. Yep, to loud music. Then you're ready to go. All right, let's talk about let's talk about our uh, studio. Yeah, let's talk about quarterly review, which we did. Uh, it's been a quarter. It three has months. been. And uh, this was a this was a big one because there's a, I mean we're coming up on a launch. A lot of things have happened in the past few months, um, and so we we actually had to take two whole freaking days to yeah unpack everything. Which it was a lot. It was actually after the first day, I just laid on the ground for twenty minutes. I didn't. <laughs> I couldn't ta- talking for a whole day. Just oh man, it's kind it was of like wild. a punch in the brain. Mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things that that uh, came out of this, which is something that we we have talked about internally in the past, um, and I think I mentioned it in, my, in my GDC talk, but is this idea of structure as culture, um, and this is something that I think you see in institutions and organizations all, all over the place. Is there's something that they want people to do, mm-hmm. right? Like at school. The teachers want the students to behave a certain way or if you're at your workplace and the and your boss or whatever says like, we'd really like to see more of this from mm-hmm. everybody, right? Um, but one thing that we are firm believers in as uh, as game developers is that people just – people primarily respond to what's happening around them. They don't resist what's happening around them, mm-hmm. right? Um and so when we talk to people about like their personal productivity, one of the things we often hone in on is, is well, what's your house like or what's your living space like? What's your workspace like? Uh, these idea of like starting your day in a certain way in order to give yourself the momentum, you know, those kinds of things. And so, uh, so one of the things that we always hone in on in these quarterly meetings is like what structures do we have in place in the studio – in terms of our processes or our tools or the just like the timing of things and how do those structures make people act? Yes. Right? Um, as opposed to flipping around and saying like, how are people doing this? How are people doing that? And do we like that? And if we don't like it, we should tell them to be different, which <laughs> doesn't, <laughs> uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make it just sense. genuinely, yeah, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, Sam, I think you maybe had some thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I think you it's, wanted to it's one of those things that, that we've – I think we've been just been exploring more uh, in the past, basically the past year since doing DevOps stuff and sort of stumbling into this as as a thing and recognizing that as much as possible, you know, if you want a change to happen for yourself as well as in a company, uh, you know, change change management is a thing people talk about a lot, right? 
uh, how difficult it is to get uh, to get a group of people who are currently doing this thing uh, to be doing that thing. And I think a, a way to think about well, this, it's, and it's often framed in terms of leadership. Yeah, like you gotta you gotta inspire people and motivate them. And to this is what go. we tried to do in our first round of hiring is, is we thought it was all about that. And yeah, and less, and yeah, all the books we read and everything was just like motivation and leadership. Yeah, of course, while recognizing that yeah. you know if we get home at the end of the day and it's been a hard day, that it's we're also the exact same people who've been you know would eat a chocolate bar or like dig into some candy or something uh, if it was home, and so not not putting together the fact that this. That the structural elements of how you've designed your business and how how it runs, uh, or even your family life, your home life, your personal stuff, is at the end of the day what ends up making a, it, the culture that you want actually appear. That's what makes you who you are. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah we've we've just been sort of I think ferreting out more and more about how this about how this works and you know, getting a little more intense about it. And it does a lot of interesting things. I think the most important one is that it it takes. It takes pressure off in a weird way um, from both on the leadership side as well as on the uh, employee side because it's no longer the case that you as an employee have to remember have to remember something like the twelve values of the company and uh, and keep them in mind at all times and try to you know make sure you're acting in accordance with them all the time. If it's the case that the structures that you're operating in just make it. Like we talked the about, the structures are built around those values. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so yeah. you think about these things uh, in the same way that you would design a tool or you would design something in a video game, which is, which is every structure has certain affordances to it, certain things that it suggests you should do, or create uh, certain incentives. Yep, or, or create certain incentives. And so you know, now that we're working remote uh, from home, that was one of those big big struggles we had, which was like, how do we set up our office such that we still get a lot of that interesting collaboration time. Uh, it's very easy. There's not like a lot of gristle in moving between, uh, you know, talking, working on something and talk, popping in to ask someone a question about something. And and that structure that we came up with of the VoIP offices where everyone has their office and you can just pop in and say, hey, has 100% made it possible for us to replicate that in-studio culture. Like you would actually call that a culture, right? Which is that, oh yeah, yeah, people work really hard solo. And then they also, it's a free environment where you can pop in and it's okay to like, interrupt someone essentially, right? To, to collaborate on things. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think just really focusing on that and recognizing that what it does at the end of the day is it makes it so that people, it's much easier for people to do both what they want to do and also what they believe they should be doing. And that's kind of the extent of it, right? We've talked about this with, with our own personal projects, you know, coming home, work from home and doing like a focus mate session to try to make sure you do the thing that you want to do. We've talked about with regard to ADHD, sort of the, the problem with, Having ADHD is not being able to do what you want to do. Um, and you cure a lot of those things by structure first. And then, of course, you know, in the case of someone with ADHD, maybe medication later. But uh, the structures are, are kind of the things that end up making a big difference for all these. Yeah. And, and I think if you're, if you're a manager at a workplace or something like that um, and you keep getting the same outcomes for something that you, that you don't want – so like let's say you have a certain policy in place that like your your employees are supposed to do this thing and like a fourth of the time it always comes out this other way mm-hmm. or something right like there's always this kind of like error or problem in the process or something yeah the question um, because it may be the people but the question you should first ask is is it the structure yes 100% because yeah because because if your process requires that all of your people be perfect then it's a bad process yeah. because people are People aren't perfect. Yeah, so right? an easy example need forgiveness is, uh, mechanics, you know. Essentially, yeah. structure. And so an easy yeah. example is what we're dealing with now is that uh, with Levelhead being on so many platforms, uh, we're basically tracking the release candidates for the game because the final versions of the game, as they are on these seven platforms, what state they're in, which version is in, is in the testing phase versus actually rolled out, et cetera, et cetera. And we needed a way to track this. So, of course, you know, do the first MVP thing, which is make a little spreadsheet uh, inside of our Notion, keep track of it. And the difficulty of actually keeping it up to date, though, because it's purely manual, is which such, means you have to remember. You yeah, have to, you every have to time remember. you make a, a release candidate, you gotta go to the spreadsheet mm-hmm. and update it, which and is terrible. Happened, it's yeah. a terrible process. <laughs> and so, and that's one of those things that ideally uh, we move into into a place where something like that is actually fully automated, so that it's not a thing people have to remember to do because it simply is done by or virtue of it's built into some, even if it's built into some manual process, but in such a way that that 
keeping it up to date is like the, an obvious next step, right? So that right. so that you do it because it's when it's so thoroughly decoupled from what you need to be from what your actual like day to day is. Um, it was can I think I think other good examples of this for you know for code are saying like if you want to make sure that that everybody's code is is uh, getting looked at, um, building in a uh, a required peer review step, which you can mm-hmm. do you can do with all the tools that are available like you know GitHub and so on. Uh, via pull request, we can basically just say that nothing is allowed to actually go into the final code until at least two people have looked at it, right? Um, yep. And that can be built actually mm-hmm. just basically structurally into the system. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do like that. Well, importantly, with that, that, or, or, I think or even test-driven development, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. All of these things are, are built around that. Because well, I think yeah. the important thing about what it is, that it says, is it recognizes that people are people, right? And then it says, we're not going to we're not going to have a structure that allows you to make a mistake at scale by pushing broken code into the project, right? Uh, that it, it, and it basically what that does, that, then it provides the ability for, for people to actually feel safer in terms of like what the work is that they're producing, right? Because you know that you're not going to be able to do something like blow up the entirety of uh, like a well, and, it, and it removes a, an enormous amount of task switching, right? Because if, if a lot of what you have to do is, is remember all of the things that you're supposed to do, yes. um, then it makes it harder to do everything. And it makes it very but, likely that things are going to fall apart. But also think about what this... Because I, I think it's just it's so it's so interesting to me how this like is such a pure parallel between like what we do as designers and and the real oh, yeah, world, which is thing. like which is like if if our players are doing something in one of our games and we're like man I wish they wouldn't do that that is not their problem that's our problem because we have made the system mm-hmm. that they are operating in and the system either doesn't prevent them from doing a certain thing. Um, or it even might encourage them to do the yeah. wrong thing, or there's just not enough information, so they they don't know what they're supposed to do. And if you kind of mirror this over to real world institutions like school, which I think is such a yeah such a uh, it's such a wild place because in the 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 blame for any kind of problem always just lands on the on the student, right? Like the student gets the detention, the student gets expelled, the student gets the F. You know, whatever, um, and and you just don't really see large scale structural overhauls of saying like, How well, come? you know, twenty tw- percent yeah. of our people uh, aren't graduating uh, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why would that be the case? And let's make some fundamental changes to what we are doing, uh, you know, to to make that happen. And and you do you do see this uh, in in some levels, but um, I don't know. It's it, it's it's Rare that uh, that it's in, that the blame entirely lands on the person, and really they're just responding to you know what's happening in the yeah. in the structure. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of an interesting takeaway. Uh, so we also did some what we call pre mortem slash scenario planning stuff, mm-hmm. um, which we could talk about a little bit, and then then we can talk about sort of what's coming next for for level head. So uh, our idea with uh, scenario planning and pre mortems is basically. What's, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So instead of making a projection and saying like, here's our estimated revenue. My favorite thing is looking at people's projections for their product launches. It's always a hockey stick curve. And I'm like, this literally never happens. What yeah. Are you talking? Like, uh, there's, there is no, and, and there's always a, well, you know, based on the way these other games performed over the past three years and based on this and based on that, we think we're going to land here. Um, and it's always wrong. Yeah. It's just always wrong. So we don't do those things. Instead, we we just lay out uh, brackets or tiers of of outcomes, uh, which have meaningful differences for us. So so for us, these things just amount to like if we get this many players, will we do anything differently than if we get three times that many players or ten times that many players? And then what um, what, what would those things be at those various points? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that we found to be the most sort of useful way of thinking about things because it doesn't make any assumptions. Mm-hmm. It's like what we know is what we can do. And then the future has a range of possible outcomes, which are completely unknown. Yeah, um, if you so know what you're going to do at each outcome, then you know what to plan for. Because if, if one of those outcomes that is reasonably likely is something bad, did yes. you start planning for now? You know, plan, plan for it now. Figure out what, what are you going to do now while well, things aren't bad. And in fact, that's actually what a pre-mortem's for, right? A pre-mortem yeah. is you you literally ask the question, "What are all the ways that this will fail?" And so basically, you start with the assumption that it failed, and then yep. you say, "How did that happen?" 
Yeah. And what's then, our worst case scenario and how do we manage yep, that? Yep. And then scenario planning is basically sort of the other part of it, which is, okay, once this is out, uh, given its various success levels, then what are we doing at each kind of tier? Right. And so we found this helped a ton with, with Crashlands back in the day. And we always do this a few weeks before launch because things like launch is such a weird time and there's a lot of fires that you don't want to be doing this sort of slow, high level thinking at that. You want to be able to live in the moment. You want to be able to like do interviews. You want to like yeah. pop into Twitch streams and chat with streamers. Enjoy and stuff. your enjoy the fact that you just did a massive human achievement, basically by launching a game, right? Yeah. So that that's uh, that's a pretty useful thing to do. So anybody who has like a a big question mark coming in near future, you know, yep. it, it could be a game launch or or anything. Um, do this thing, you know, do this like assume that it went wrong and then talk and then like write out all the ways you think that might have happened and then build up some try to build up some resilience to those things well this is even true for our current global situation with covid right is mm-hmm. is what if you're stuck in the same situation we're stuck in now but for the next three months the next six months the next yep. year yeah what I mean, if we, we actually switched. do get out of this what happens what happens because uh, things won't go back to normal right they'll just go nope. back to a less restrictive state of some sort um, so what is that going to look like and how, how long is that going to go? There's no way to know that at all. So what you can do is some scenario planning where you can look at your worst case scenarios, your best case scenarios and try to figure out what would you do if each of those different things happened? Um, because if you know that that's going to, re- it's even if some of those things are, things are still bad because sometimes you, there is no good way. Right. But if you know exactly what those are, um, that reduces one of the key parts of anxiety, which is. Just the, the complete unknown. unknown. Yeah. yeah. If you if you know what the things what the situations are going to look like, and you can plan or at least just know, um, then you're in a much better spot. Yeah. And these can be a little stressful to grapple with at that initial. Oh yeah. Outset, but I honestly like if if you give this something like this a try, uh, you'll. I I mean, there are very few things that I give that I would like to give guarantees on as far as like their effects. But I feel like doing something like some some scenario planning or a pre mortem of an upcoming thing you got going on, they always always make you feel so much better about what the thing is because you, you get that degree of, uh, of agency back, right. Where you say, okay, you know what? Yes. Sh- things are, might be going to shit, you but I have some plan. control out of it. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of, a little bit of control. You know exactly how they're going to shit <laughs> and, and, and what, what you're going to do. do about yep. it, which yeah. is a big difference. It's a very big difference. It is. It is. Um, it, well, and it, and it takes, like Adam was saying, it's, it's all about the unknown where, where it goes from you saying like, oh my God, what am I going to do if blah, Mm-hmm. And, and then, like, and then ending the thought there and saying, here's what I'm going to do if that happens. And now you – like you said, you have this feeling of agency or yeah. control, which is good. Um, so as far as level-head stuff goes, we are coming up on the launch. We're like two-ish weeks out by the time this podcast airs, which is wild. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty excited. Very, it is very <laughs> soon. Yeah. So we, so we are, we are pretty much uh, ready to go on all the platforms. Uh, just like a – well, actually, just one final little thing. We also we're, slung uh, traditional Chinese in there. Oh yeah, we got traditional Chinese now. Yeah, we just snuck yeah. that in there, just because just casual, can. just snuck in one whole extra language. Have we just, gotten that you know. through? Have we gotten that through all the certs? I think we that's got through the, Xbox. That's the final thing. Yep, it's through it's Xbox, final. which is in progress. So we should Xbox, uh, Google Play. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, good. There's we're no reason to think months. that it would, that that would cause a delay. The only delay would actually be just because it takes a while to get through the cert process. Correct. Um, yeah, and what we have been seeing too is that things are getting are getting a little more slow from all of our sort of every one of the platform partners because uh, yeah everything's just kind of slowing down a bit. But yeah, so it's good that we gave ourselves a month before the launch to submit things and get everything finalized because uh, you know launching something on this scale is it's just not up to us, right? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, when it comes to I think only Steam is the one where we can just like put it on there. And, and that's it. And nobody, no, nobody cares. There's no third party coming and being like, let me check this but out. But importantly, you know? actually, they did for your first ever launch. They do that's do true. a quick check on it, right? And you can that's get true. stuff like if you messed up your foil badges for like it's what happened to us in Crashlands, actually. We delayed by uh, – or messed us up for a day or two trying to get our, our badges figured out for Steam. But uh, if coming out of early access, yeah, we literally just – we're just going to hit a button. That's it. Yeah. So because all of these things have human people involved checking them out and vetting things, then just because of the worldwide situation, uh, things are taking a while. And uh, so far, we have no reason to think that we're going to miss any anything. Um, But of course, if that does happen, we will 
Oh, yeah, again, screaming. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's happening. And then uh, we've also been talking about what our post-launch uh, plan is in terms of what's development going to look like um, in terms of content delivery, what kinds of content are we going to make? And we've been reflecting on what we've been doing for the past few months where we've been like developing the tutorial, um, making lots of interface updates and new user experience improvements. And our our goal post-launch is to try to open up the gameplay more, mm-hmm. which is uh, basically just come up with as many new interesting items as possible to be able to allow players to do just even wilder and, and more ridiculous things. Yeah, basically so, start trying to – And even some fundamental changes to game systems and mechanics. So, so not changes as in like they don't behave the same anymore, but additions, right? But that mm-hmm. – that fundamentally change aspects of how you think about it um, as a kind of game. Yeah. So yeah. the major goal with that is just to to continue opening up the content. And the really nice thing about Levelhead is that you know every additional piece we add just keeps on it. It's combinatorial. Yeah, it ramps up the complexity a massive amount. So we don't have that marginal loss uh, issue like in games we did with uh, like with Crashlands, where every new recipe was just kind of like another one versus uh, yeah, changing everything. Once and, yeah. Yeah. And so that's really exciting. But I think we will be taking a much slower pace. Uh, in terms of actually rolling those out. And a lot of that has to do with now that we're... Marketing. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it actually has to do, as far as timing, it has to do with marketing, which is it doesn't make sense uh, to just every single week be pumping out new stuff at all, uh, even if we wanted to. But uh, with all the platforms, we want to be able to do you know simultaneous release of the patches and stuff. And so it'll be a much slower process as far as getting this first wave of new content out. Uh, yeah, we also have every a lot release of- has to sim ship, which makes the cost of every release really, really high. Yeah. And there's no point in releasing something if you don't market it. And yes. so that also makes the that makes it even higher by a lot. Um, so yeah, so it just and then if you market if you do a successful marketing campaign one week and then two weeks later do another, another one, one, yeah, you're getting some diminishing returns really rapidly. Then. Definitely. So well, we actually found something really interesting back. I don't know if you remember this, Sam, but in the middle of Crashlands development, we did uh, literally every Monday we made a whole game and launched it. Oh yeah, I and we did that. that for five weeks. Yeah, so that's where Roid Rage came from. That's where Flop Rocket came from. Yeah. Um, we had a couple. It was like Freeway Mutant, Epidemic, just pretty Burger Defense, mm-hmm. Burger Defense, Extreme yeah, Burger are. Defense. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Extreme Sloths. No, Sloth Cycling was a different that came later, thing, yeah. but, or earlier. But, uh, uh, so what we what we found was something really interesting, which was like we made Roid Rage was the first one. We made it in a day. And put it up, and there were actually a bunch of articles and stuff on mobile gaming sites. And like, Butterscotch Shenanigans just made this game in eight hours and released it, and it's good. Yep, <laughs> go, go check it out. Yeah. And it got—I uh, think it got like thirty or forty thousand downloads yeah. in the first week. And it did great. Actually, made it got some money. Press. We were like, "What?" Yeah. And then the next week, we're like, "We're doing it again." Because mm-hmm. basically, our, our strategy was: we were like, "We're going to put out a game every Monday, and then we'll resume development on Crashlands Tuesday through Friday." Yep. Um, which is a fucking wild thing to do. Uh, and and ignores the entirety of the reality of what it means to successfully launch a commercial <laughs> yeah. title. Of course, that's what happened with all the rest of them, which is after the first yeah. one, because the first one was news because we hadn't yeah. done anything in a while. And then all the rest of them, actually, no one gave a shit about it. No one yeah. covered so, them. So in week two, we put it out and uh, it's like, oh, okay, sure. I guess like they made another one uh, in eight more hours. And yep. then the next week, people are like, again, I mean – yep. Come on, guys. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the time between launch and the first update will be a while. Uh, and a big part of that, too, is we have, as, as we talked about, launch has consumed a tremendous amount of resources in just getting everything ready for it and also a tremendous amount of marketing resources. And uh, we've been able to identify because of this a bunch of basically these other production issues that we just have uh, or have had. There are actually there are problems with our art pipeline. That have existed yeah, still for at least a year. They're still there are problems with every pipeline. That are yeah, still every single pipeline has some issues, and so uh, we have some significant work to do to get all the everything singing again, basically. And it's not a ton; it's just it's just enough that there's yeah, there's there's a lot of work to do uh, to kind of it's get all. We, we need to be able to slow stuff down a bit so that we can yeah uh, be prepared for working on for finishing up all the updates to Levelhead and for working on the next title. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in the Sonic games when he curls into a ball and then like smoke starts coming out of the back. Yep. Before he blasts forward, it's like that. Yes, that's what we need. It's to just do. that kind 100%. of percent move. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of where things are at with the studio, with Levelhead, and everything. Uh, launch is coming, so be sure to uh, get onto bscotch.net 
get your Rumpus account set up. Yeah, hook up to and, every account in the universe. Yeah, in there you can you can link accounts like your Apple ID, your Xbox account, your Nintendo Twitch account, your Epic everything. account. Bring it all in, link it all under one Rumpus account. Also, we don't get any of your info, by the way, because we don't give a shit. We get your email we, address sometimes. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah, and other, we're not like mining your data and stuff. Nope. It's just for you to be able to, to easily connect all your stuff on the platforms. Yeah. So that way, yeah, that way on day one, you know, you can play it on your Xbox, pick up your iPhone, exactly pick up where you left off, then switch over to Steam and play around on there for a while. Work on the same level if you want. Mm-hmm. All, Assuming you buy it on up. all of those places, which you definitely should do. Which, of course, you will. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. First question is from Seven Cho, who we haven't heard from in a That's little true. while. That's so, true. It has been a while. Uh, who says, what is your self-quarantine game of choice? Ooh. I've Good got question. A, I've got an easy answer right now, which is I haven't been able to take any time to play any damn games that have been cat wrangling and then trying to put in extra hours to get all the server infrastructure ready for launch. Mm-hmm. So I don't have one, but I've been wanting to play Terraria. So I guess that would be mine. Mm. I have. Yeah, that's your dream that's game. That's my dream of choice. Game. I only have a very anxious dog, so I've been able to play Terraria. Uh, and I did. I I booted it up with the the Calamity mod and the Anti Aris mod, which both add a ton of weapons and all sorts of stuff. And then for some reason, I decided to play it on expert mode, even though both of those and like some and sick some other boss rush sort of mode that makes all the bosses harder. Uh, so I am struggling deeply. Uh, I played it, I, and I, I forgot what happened to me in Terraria the first time, which is the reason I ended up playing it for a long time the first time was actually because I spent two hours reading the wiki and making a plan on a post-it note and then like on multiple post-it notes about like what things to go do. Yeah. And so the mm. first day or two I was playing, I was like, I don't, I'm not seeing any of this new content because I don't know where it is. I don't know how to access it. Terraria, of course, completely opaque. So I have no idea where yeah. to get these new weapons up. <laughs> And so I was like, what? And I was having a bad time. And the second night, I literally spent an hour and a half. I was like, Dad, I'm going to go game. She's like, okay. And then uh, about bedtime, she's like, are you even playing? And I was like, I have 40 tabs open of the version. Because <laughs> now I have, I have the Terraria wiki. I have the Calamity mod wiki and the anti areas. It wiki. sounds like yeah. playing Terraria is a lot like playing Eve Online. Kind of. You're like, I'm gonna go play some Terraria. Then you've got fucking Excel open, <laughs> and you've got you got you're on a conference call with a bunch of other people uh-huh, coming up uh-huh. with a plan and shit. But I did make. I mean, yep. I made tremendous progress and sort of having a lot of fun once I did that. But then I hit this boss wall where I'm just getting I'm just getting murdered when I can't figure it out. When you say boss wall, do you mean the wall of flesh? Not the actual boss wall. No, no, no. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's a different one. A I kill you. Yeah. Took out one of the bosses, and then the one I'm supposed to be killing next is just. Ripping my face off. So I, I mean, kind of on a sort of a related note, because this whole idea of like you have to pull up the wiki to figure out what to do and, and do all this planning and stuff, and which is also true when I play Terraria, it's the same deal, just like tabs everywhere of all of the. Mm-hmm. So, like, so I can, because so, I can't, you don't know what the recipe is going to be and like you can't don't know what you're it. looking for. Um, but this is something that's missing for a level, because I've been, I've been seeing our community talk about this in the Discord about the the absence of a, of a level head wiki. We technically right? have one. We technically have one. But anyway, this, that, I don't want to go yeah. into the details of like the like what the snafu is with that, but it's just kind of an interesting idea because even with a game as simple as Level Head, at least in principle, right? Like it's just you just run around and jump, basically, right? But there's enough there's enough depth. There's there. a tremendous amount of depth to Level. Yeah, that it keeps it's on zany. opening up. It yeah. just, it's like opens up more and more, and, and then once you add in the whole thing that of course people can make their own levels, right? Uh, the amount of of like interesting player and community generated content just to describe stuff is actually. Yeah. It's actually enormous. Um, and so so it is interesting that that kind of we all have over time found games that are actually not – they're not that hard to interact with, but they require all this like meta-level structure to actually like mm-hmm. enjoy and really interact with effectively. Yeah. Well, I mean it comes into this idea of, of uh, mastery, right, which is having a game where when you learn stuff, like just the knowledge becomes a sense of power in the game, right? Like those are just – they're fun. They're so it's fun. It's not just a game of skill. It's yeah. a game of Learning knowledge. the systems, learning the world. Very fun. So yeah. what do you so I've been So I've been playing World of Warcraft just like like crazy. It's been fantastic. So have you guys – have I talked to you guys about this concept of a mythic plus? No. I don't know. Nope. So this is a pretty brilliant uh, uh, 
game design invention that actually came into the game in the in the most recent expansion. So it's been in here for two expansions now. It works like this. So World of Warcraft is an MMO. It's a fantasy game. You, you have different classes and roles that you can play. And they have these five-man dungeons. So you have a tank, a healer, and three damage dealers. And the dungeons have all kinds of different bosses and mechanics and interesting things to do. But it used to be the case that that they were transient content. So you'd clear the dungeon, get the gear that you needed, and then you, that's it now. You don't, mm. you don't have any reason to go back. And so uh, the game had just had this perpetual problem where the developers could not produce new dungeons fast enough that were relevant for people to keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. So with the idea of a mythic plus is you set the dungeon to mythic difficulty, which is the highest difficulty. And when you clear it, you get a key, a keystone for a plus two. Okay. So what that means is it levels up the dungeon to be a little bit harder. Do things then, change or is it just numbers? Yeah. So, so at the start okay, of the good, dungeon, yeah. at the start of the dungeon, mm, there's fine. a little pedestal and you can plug your keystone into there to level the dungeon up. And by default, the numbers just get bigger. But then at certain brackets, like at level like four and eight and 10 and stuff, completely new mechanics get introduced Ooh, I like to that. the dungeon. Yeah. Um, and the mechanics, they're, they're referred to as affixes. They're basically like mutators, but they change every week. And so, oh, uh, yeah, that's so really cool. one of them might be like teaming, which is there's just twice as many enemies as normal. So you just like you have to change your whole strategy on how to navigate the dungeon. Um, one of them is like volcanic, where uh, randomly fire shoots out of the ground and tries to kill anybody standing at range. So now all of a sudden, in every single fight, you have to be just like packed together, moving around all the time. <laughs> uh, and they even added this weird one, which is uh, they there's these uh, obelisks planted throughout the dungeon. And you go into the obelisk and you're now in the shadow realm. So all of the normal uh, enemies aren't there. And instead, there are these like void shadow monsters that you fight in there. And if you don't go into the obelisks and, and defeat them, then they will they will appear while you're fighting the last boss. So you have to go so you have to go in and kill them. But even crazier is when you kill them, they leave a a, a rift that you can use to re-enter the normal world. But the rift appears wherever the boss died. So you can like go into the shadow realm, fight this boss, move, move it, and then port somewhere back somewhere to, else. Yeah. So you can like skip sections, strategically skip sections of the dungeon. So there's all these like really uh interesting mechanics. So they're basically just, they're just can, putting a basically using roguelike design mechanics to make Yeah, exactly. It. Yep. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. How much and of so, this so there's a lot of complexity here. I mean, yeah. you just basically you just like walked us through sort of like a car manual, you know, in terms of like wondering what going. So how much – because I, I don't ever play World of Warcraft. Uh, how yeah. much does Blizzard actually teach the player about all of this stuff versus is this just how the game works and you have to figure it out? Because like you'll walk up and you'll see a pedestal that's like – and you hover over it or whatever and it says like insert a keystone. You're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And you, you get one later from beating the dungeon – and then you go try it and you see what it is like. Is that how you learn? Or so is a, lot of, a lot of it is conveyed through things like tooltips and stuff, right? So like okay. you get your keystone and then it's like insert this into a font of power or whatever. And so that when you go into a dungeon and you – like there's this see thing is, there yeah. and you yeah. mouse over it as like font of power. But then when you uh, see yeah. this like netherworld obelisk, do you just – you're like – are you just like what is this? And you go into it and that's how you find out. Yeah, I mean a lot of, a lot of that stuff is just kind of discovered through trial and error or through like more mm-hmm. more sophisticated players who check out the patch notes and they figure out what they're supposed to do okay. and then they, they teach the rest My of favorite it. Even, I mean even stuff like the fact that you kill the nether enemies in the nether world and other – if you don't, that they actually come up. You know, later, right? Yeah, I mean, that, people found that out the hard way. It's yeah, <laughs> the kind of connection that, like, your average person is not going to make because they would actually have to experience it multiple times, multiple ways. To even but they probably would. It. Like, it's the fun thing about yeah. it is like games like this that push this sense of mastery over the world are just like they're so fun because once you know that, then you're like, oh, we can use this, you know, to our yeah. advantage. Uh, which is funny. I remember, but, but it um, requires that like really high meta level community discovery and discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, this, this is also why that why it's it's bracketed, right? So, like when you do the dungeon normally, it's it's simple and very familiar in terms of the kinds of things that you see. And as you get higher and higher level right. keys, then stuff gets you know, easier. The new things start to happen. Yeah, so I remember. So, so there, you know, there's a concept of fog of war uh, in like RTSs and stuff, which basically just means that you can't see further than you have explored. Uh, but there's always sort of a buffer range. Like you have a line of sight that's sort of 
much further than your character. You can actually kind of you can basically pierce the fog to a degree. Yeah. Uh, but or there's to another use that one. satellite dish in a yeah right to reveal some craft. Cool. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there's this other one which I remember from playing League of Legends a bunch, which we would refer to as face checking, which sounds similar. So there's a question of like which which style of information gain are you using? So fog of war is like you can see a bit a bit of the ways off. You can't see the whole thing, but you know you got some some pre warning face checking. Uh, was where you would you would have to walk into a bush and you can't see in the bush before oh, you're yeah, standing you're in, in it. Yeah. And so it was always one of those things where it was like if someone starts walking toward a bush, you're like, don't don't face check it. Like shoot something in there, see if something gets <laughs> in, you know, don't face check it. Uh, but it is actually fun to have a mix of those kinds of mechanics, right? Because they have a, 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 a sort of information information release as a mechanic, right? Is a fun part yeah. of yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing though. It's, it's the idea of, of op- opaqueness that you know is there, right? Uh, or, yeah. Or that, that you can understand as a player that that there's some hidden information here that you could figure out, right? And I think that's kind of Taking an interesting sort of it's an interesting risk from a development. And design side of of putting these things in that are not that are not clearly linked or that or that that take a lot of effort or or multiple trials for somebody to discover a pattern um, because that's where that's where like all this really interesting depth comes from but yeah. that's also carries this huge risk that players who experience that can't figure out what is so it has to somehow be like still good well what even you need to get understanding the meta content hundred percent yeah what you need to do as a developer in a multiplayer context like that is is you need to give people a springboard. So like uh, give them enough information that they can begin down the path and then they can figure it out together. Either yeah. either yeah. just in that group or as a community. That's true. I mean the discovery discovering stuff together is actually so fun, right? Because oh, if yeah. you and your buddy both are yeah. like, all right, we're going to open this door and you can't see beyond it. But like we're here right now, we're going to do it. And then you rip it open and then you, you know, zombies pour out or something. Uh, yeah. That's I mean, that's so the beauty of, of video games is like they encourage experimentation and making mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. So like you're like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You open the door and you're like, well, that was bad. <laughs> next, <laughs> yeah. We all died. So next time, uh, let's not do that. Yep. So, yep. So those are our games of choice. Terraria, Terraria. Wow. <laughs> uh, all right. Captain Jazz says in that other platformer i don't know what there you're are about. there are three bro baddies hammer bro fire bro and boomerang bro you all mm. are also three bros who among the three of you would it, would you say is most like each of these bros mm. hammer bro fire bro and boomerang bro i don't know enough about their personalities I don't you think know. they have any because they're Mario characters. Not to throw yeah, shade. There's that. <laughs> uh, they're just coop shots fired. They're, they're turtles that throw various things. So I think uh, I think given that that burn that Sam just laid down, he'd have to be the fire bro. Ooh, oh, that's true. Sick. I'd say I'd be the hammer bro because I have one tool, and everything that I go after is a nail. <laughs> that is true. That is so, true. I think in that same way, then probably you know Adam ends up being the boomerang bro. You know, yeah, he's got a bit more finesse. Because if, yeah, if I don't want something and try to throw it away, it just comes back anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You thought you were done with this problem, and it just there it done, is. But it's back. There it is again. Adam made yeah. the, the Adam made our uh, art deployment pipeline, but it just keeps coming back and hates to catch yeah, it. Yeah, that's, over that's over the problem when you make tools for other people. Is that, yeah, damn. Yeah, can't be left alone. <laughs> that's very funny. I like this. Speaking of uh, of hammering things, I want to talk about something really fun, mm. which is. All right. In Levelhead, we have the marketing department. You publish your level, uh, and once enough people have played it, it graduates. It moves to the tower. And right now, in, in early access, it takes 40 players to graduate your level. And we have been come, we've been bumping up against this question over and over again, uh, which is, when we launch this game, how many people should it take? Should it be 1,000? Should it be... 2000 should mm-hmm. should it stay at 40 uh and so we were talking about it last week and uh and we decided to to try a flexible marketing department so like the number of players would change depending on depending what's on going on happening. in the dark this economic yeah. background comes in handy yeah and so so we were like we can use exposure bucks as a uh, like a, a equilibrium price point and balance the marketing department around a certain exposure bucks median and stuff. So we tried all these things. Very fancy. Um, but – and when I say we tried them, I mean after talking to Adam, Adam was like, honestly, just make a simulation because we have no idea. 
we have no idea like what is right and what's wrong. And so if we can if we can create a simulation uh, that is based on our reasonable expectation of player behavior, then we can create scenarios where you have different levels of player activity, 10 concurrent players, 10,000 concurrent players, whatever. And then we could just look at the marketing department in the simulation and see what it does. Like what is it doing in response to all these players? How fast are levels graduating? How many how many uh, exposure bucks are there in the marketing department? All that stuff. And so I used my hammer, which is Game Maker, to uh, <laughs> create a simulated in, in ecosystem of the marketing department. Uh, should I say what the conclusion is? What we're gonna do? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. Also, it would be very disappointing if we didn't. Yeah, it, I thought this yeah. was going somewhere with a conclusion. So yeah, so all we're gonna, so all we have to do, we think, is change the required players to one hundred. Yeah, that's it. And the, and the cool it. part is that that actually kind of works at any scale, um, except for when it's when the scale is very small, like it is right now, um, because it would just take too long currently. Because yeah, maybe, and our. Our decision metric was basically to say, like, we want you to get enough players, guaranteed players on your level that it feels good, that you're getting a good number of players. But but if as that number goes up, as the requirement goes up, it just levels sit longer. And the yeah. longer they sit, the more exposure bucks they accrue, which mm-hmm. means that it gets harder and harder to move your level up to the top, right? So the – It needs to always the, feel reasonably feasible – to graduate your level. Yes. And and there's another problem, which is if the requirement goes too low, um, then we end up with levels graduating from the marketing department essentially as fast as they get created, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's weird, right? Like you publish one and you would put like 50 exposure bucks in it and then it gets 10 players and graduates. Like that's – Yep. It's just too fast and not satisfying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, so we have to kind of find that balance and where we we think – it's going to go is just a hundred players ha- has like a really nice uh, balance between how much you play other people's levels, how many exposure bucks you need and how many players you get. Yeah. And the cool so thing is that it is sort of scale independent in that uh, it's, it, it comes out of a ratio, right? It's like, it's like what, how many play, So for every new player that introduces a level uh, into the market department, how many other people are playing levels, right? And yeah. it's just a ratio. If we, if we, if we get, 10 times as many players, we also have 10 times as many levels being made, right? Yep. And so, so that number so it really works dictates. At all scales. Yeah, so that, that it all scales together. And, that, and what's that, what that number does is just really dictate um, basically how much uh, effort is required on your part to get your levels up in front of people. Because um, even as it stands right now with like the current marketing department, um, we could in principle set that to 100 because we have enough players coming in and out over time that that would happen, right? It's just that it would just take it would a just long take, fucking time as it stands yeah, right now. Yeah. And those levels would just – their exposure bucks would just keep creeping up. I think a good example is I think uh, there's a couple of multiplayer levels yeah. in the marketing department that just don't get played much because yeah. multiplayer is a much, much smaller fraction. And they have like 100,000 exposure bucks. <laughs> yeah. Because they just sit there. Counted as, so if you have two players, does yeah. that count as two? That counts as one, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we got some issues we got to work – on with that side of things, but um, yeah, so it's been, it was a fun, interesting thing. But I got to use uh, I got to use my hammer to simulate it and figure <laughs> yeah. out to figure out what it was. Good job, hammer. Uh, we'll what uh, one final quick question from Beaky Bapa Boop? Have you ever had a piece of code that you just couldn't get to work, so you scrapped it all and did something different? I, I wouldn't mean, say probably. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's more of a strategy that I couldn't get yeah. to work. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I, mean, it's not I couldn't get to work. It's that I discovered it was a bad strategy. I think. Yeah, more, I mean, this happens with the, art stuff too, right? You'll make a picture, and and I've, I've, talked, I've talked to Adam and Seth about this as well as maybe a little bit on podcast. But sometimes, sometimes you're working on it, and you're like, for some reason, this is harder than I than thought it, it was be, going yeah. to be. That it should be. like getting this particular thing to work. So yeah, you just like burn it down and try something else. Uh, it should be pretty easy once you get there. The difficulty actually should be in finding out the correct strategy to implement. Yeah, the implementation. Yeah, it's a fog of war problem. Yeah. yeah, the only times I've had code that I just literally couldn't get to work that I needed to get to work was when it depended on somebody else's yes code, and f- and for which there was uh, too little documentation or other information. So, um, so you know, SDKs, third party libraries, all this kind of stuff, where you just 
your only move is to guess, and sometimes guesses are impossible. So if you're – if, for example, a thing that we're dealing with right now, which I won't go into details or name names. <laughs> if, for example, somebody updates something and then doesn't also update the documentation, and then if mm-hmm. also the thing that got updated is a URL that is not one you can predict. Yep. Right? Mm. Uh, then there's literally so you no can't move infer for you. what it's you can't you infer can't infer what it's, what it's going supposed to be. To be. Yeah. Yeah. There's no move for you except to uh, you know hit customer support and wait for somebody to update the documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I do run into because I have to work with uh, third party code so often doing all the web stuff, and that I know sure runs into yes probably an even worse level because not only is he working with third party documentation, but in my case it's basically all web stuff at least right. In his case it's like. It's SDKs, it's it's backend stuff, trying to figure out how to get, you know, the platform platform things to work, it's localization things, it's like a million things, and each one has some opaqueness to it. And mm-hmm. uh yeah. and some of it is not guessable. Yep. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. It's yeah, it's not giving up to start working on a thing and say, This was a terrible idea, I need to do this differently, or yeah. or just a, or abandon it to, uh, because it doesn't actually it turned out to be like more expensive than it needed to be, like Sam was saying. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, this is way harder than it's supposed to be. That's just that's just moving forward in a biased random walk. Yep. I think. <laughs> all right. Now that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved with the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to everything. Thank yeah, you while you're listening. there, you should go oh. pre-order. Go pre-order Levelhead. You can do it on all kinds of and stuff at podcast.bscotch.net. I mean, there's a link up at the top that says games right there. Just get, just it's all there. Oh yeah, just you get just in there. Get in there. Find find all the links. Pre-order down everything. Stitch your accounts together. Pre-order the game. Get ready. Get yeah, ready. Do it all. It's coming. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.